2. I'm just going to read a passage from there. And this morning we'll be looking at John chapter 3, but we're going to start in Psalm 32. And in verse 8, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you want to lead us in truth. Lord, that you've given us your word as you desire for us to know you, to know life. Lord, we just recognize our need. Uh, Lord, that, uh, that we need your spirit to work in our hearts. <clears throat> To grant understanding, uh, Lord, we just ask that in this time, Christ would be magnified as we consider your word, and as we consider Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So we'll be in John chapter 3, and it's always a, a privilege to get to come and share from the word with you all. We have one more week without students at His Hill, and then our second years are going to come the following week, so we're looking forward to that, and I know there's lots of people even within the, the church that are on different trips, and it's taking some time before we start a new year, a new school year, and the Lord is always so faithful to, to lead us and to teach us. And I remember, so I, yeah, I serve at a a gap year Bible school in comfort about 20 minutes away called His Hill. And currently my role there is the principal of the Bible school. And I remember when I was transitioning into that role, the former principal, Kelly, uh, we were having a conversation one time and he told me, he said, John, once you take on the, the role of principal, the title of principal, your relationship and interaction with the students is going to be different. It's just going to change. And he says, just because the title just carries that, that impact on them, the way that you relate to them, like, no, surely, like, it won't, it won't have that much of an effect. Uh, and that first school year that I had the, the title of principal, I noticed a, a very clear change in the way that students would interact with me. Like, before I would be sitting in my little closet office in the, in the hallway at his hill, and students would just come down the hall and they'd just come in and just start talking to me. And then when I transitioned to a new title, I would sometimes, I sometimes hear them talking in the hallway before I see them, trying to convince one another whether or not they should make the trip down to talk to me. Because they're a little scared sometimes, and maybe they're having a confession about something that happened. Uh, there's just this nervousness that comes because of the title. And, and it's, it seems silly, and yet it's just the reality that all of us have different titles. And when we talk with one another, we share our titles, whether it's the title of husband or wife or businessman or doctor or homemaker, when you hear somebody communicating about who they are and what they do, that title is giving you insight into their life, is giving you insight into their identity. Who is this person? This person's a father. Well, that, that helps me understand a little bit about them. And so titles mean something, and we use titles all the time. They can, they can be taken too much into consideration, we can function only according to title and not according to what is true. We can relate to people only based on title. And Jesus warns us, he cautions us not to just relate to people based on their level of authority and just giving the seat of honor to the, the one who's in the highest position, but rather treating all equally, honoring people equally. 
And so there's a danger of overemphasizing titles, but even when Jesus comes into the world, he has different titles. He's spoken of with different labels and designations. He's given the label Son of God. That's a title. It communicates something about who Jesus is. Even the title of God. That's communicating something. He's referred to as healer, as Messiah, as blasphemer. He has so many different titles that are attributed to him. And the most common title that Jesus receives, or rather that he uses to speak about himself, is the title of Son of Man. And for the next two weeks, I'm going to get to, to share with you all, and, and I want to take each Sunday to just take some time to, to look at one of the titles that is used about Jesus. I, I want to spend time, again, just asking the question, who is Jesus? And the titles about who Jesus is, they communicate something about his identity, not just a label over his life, but who he is. And the most common title used to Jesus from other people, so the one that Jesus uses the most about himself is the title of Son of Man. But the one that other people use most often about him is the title of Teacher. And I want to talk this morning a little bit about what does it mean that Jesus is teacher. Almost 70 times in the Gospels, he's referred to as teacher or rabbi. That when people show up, whether they're his friend or his enemy, they're willing to refer to him as teacher. What does it mean that Jesus is teacher? And titles matter. We, we learn about who we are, who people are, based on how they introduce themselves with titles, and God in His wisdom has attributed this title to Jesus, wanting to communicate something about who Christ is. And Jesus Himself refers to Himself as teacher, and so it's not just something that others put on Him, but He considers Himself to be teacher. And so when we think about Jesus as teacher, the most uh, the, one of the passages that, that is most prominent about Jesus as teacher is in John chapter 3. He has a private conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And there's lots of passages we can go to to look at Jesus' teaching. He teaches a lot in the Gospels. We look at when he's teaching crowds, when he's teaching those who are sick, when he's teaching just his disciples privately. But in this story in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to him secretly at night and he refers to Jesus as teacher. And Jesus unpacks truth for Nicodemus. And I just want to look at what is it that Jesus teaches as this man comes in. So in John chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus approaches Jesus and it seems as if Nicodemus has been wrestling in his own heart and mind some about, okay, who really is Jesus? Maybe he's had conversations with other Pharisees or just uh, other Jews in the town and he's hearing all the different rumors that are going around about who Jesus might possibly be. And he's willing to concede one point. He says, Jesus, we know that you're a teacher. Whatever else might be true about you, if you're actually God in the flesh, if you're actually the Messiah, like that's all in Nicodemus' mind, still up for debate, but we know that you're a teacher. And he says, we know you're a teacher that's sent from God. And maybe he's just being polite. Maybe he genuinely believes that. But he says, we know that you're a teacher. And he gets this opportunity to talk to Christ. And he asks him, he doesn't ask him outrightly, but it seems as if his introduction is implying the question, help me know who you actually are. He says, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. And he doesn't ask a direct question, but 
but it seems as if he's implying, I want to understand better who you are. I'm hearing all these things from people. Some love you, some hate you. Who are you? Teach me. And Jesus responds in verse 3, and he talks about the kingdom, and he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. And later on, in just a few verses, he's going to say, one cannot enter the kingdom unless he's born again. One can't see the kingdom, one can't enter the kingdom unless he's born again. He says something miraculous has to happen in order for someone to understand, to really see the kingdom. He says one has to be born again. And Nicodemus, understandably, is confused. Verse 9, how can these things be? You know, he's, he says in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? And yeah, practically this seems impossible because physically it's impossible. This rebirth thing doesn't happen. Uh, you know, that Nicodemus says, can somebody enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time? No, we know that. And Jesus says, how can you be a teacher of the law and not understand these things? I'm not talking about physical rebirth. This is spiritual. This is a spiritual birth that has to take place. He says in verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? And Jesus rebukes him and he refers to Nicodemus now by this title that Nicodemus has used about Jesus. He refers to Nicodemus as a teacher. Are you a teacher in Israel and yet you don't understand? And so we see here that Jesus, when it comes to who's the more competent teacher, Jesus has a greater understanding of these spiritual things than Nicodemus does. Jesus is a better teacher. He's a greater teacher. Nicodemus should know these things, but he doesn't. And what is it that Jesus has been teaching? He says, first of all, he mentioned, and I'm not spending a lot of time unpacking that the teaching that Jesus is doing here, but rather the interactions of Jesus with Nicodemus as a teacher. Looking at Jesus as a teacher. And so the, some of the main things that Jesus is, is talking about, this line of reasoning that Jesus has, he starts off that spiritual new birth has to happen. It's necessary for life. And it can only happen in verses 14 and 15, he mentions, I'm not going to read them, but I will. I'll read them. Verse 14, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. He says, new birth, spiritual life, can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. You have to believe who I am, who I truly am, Nicodemus, in order to have life, in order to enter the kingdom, to see the kingdom, you can only do that through new birth or through faith in Christ. And that's why he says Jesus even came into the world. Son of man has to be lifted up, going to the cross. People must have faith in Christ in order to be born again, to see the kingdom, to know life. In verse 16 he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is why Jesus came. Out of his love for the world, his desire for people to know life and to be able to believe on the person of Christ, he presents himself to the world so that they might see God and in Christ believe and be saved. And so Jesus, as teacher, comes to Nic or Nicodemus, comes to him, but Jesus speaks with Nicodemus and what is it that Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about? Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about himself. He says, you're asking about who I am. You're, you're wondering who I am. And let me give you the, the backdrop here, Nicodemus. You need to be born again spiritually. And that new birth happens by faith in Christ. And I've come into the world because of God's love for the world. 
And so Jesus is teaching about himself because he loves us. He loves Nicodemus and he knows that the only way for Nicodemus to experience abundant life, eternal life, is through faith in Christ. And in his love for the world, the most loving thing that Jesus can do is teach us about himself. In his love for you and I, the greatest gift that Jesus can give us is himself. Because it's only in Christ that we can have life. And so Jesus comes to teach. He comes to teach us about himself. And we, we recognize, though, that life is complex at times. It feels a little overwhelming. And I can't tell you how many times over the years, as yeah, I, I live in a home with my, my wife and four precious daughters, and things break, uh, and since I'm the, the man in the home, I take it upon myself to, to endeavor to fix everything. And so everything's broken because I'm the one trying to fix it. Um, and so I can, I mean, I remember one time early in our marriage that our microwave broke. This is, a, and I was like, I'll, I'll try to fix it. You know, I know nothing about microwaves. I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll try to fix it. It just sounds like a bad idea trying to fix a microwave. Uh, and so I, I take the case off of it and I look at it and I put the case back on it. You know, I'm like, okay, that was, it's still broken. I don't know what's wrong with it. And, uh, the, so many times that this has happened, a kitchen appliance breaks, you know, something's wrong with it. Like, oh, well, maybe I can fix it, you know, and I forget about the last time I tried to fix the microwave and I take off the casing of the kitchen appliance, whatever it might be, and I look at it and I see some, you know, circuit board and I just put that casing right back on. Like, nope, can't figure it out. I might poke a couple things. Maybe something's loose. Like, surely that'll fix it. Uh, children's toys break, you know that little game with a plastic fish and it spins around and you try to catch the fish with this little plastic fishing pole and that thing breaks one time like, okay, surely, surely I can fix this. No, no, it didn't work. Um, and, and you take off the case and I look at it and I'm like, you know what, I really thought this was going to be, I was hoping it would be something simple and it just never is. It's always more complicated. It feels like it's always more complicated than it should be. Uh, and, and we get into life, and this is often how it feels, you know, that we get into relationships and, and different, different places that tension might come up, and we think, okay, you know what? We just need to, I, I'm just, I'm just going to go in and fix the problem, whatever it is. And then you sit down with somebody, you start to hear about the things going on, and you're like, you know what, this is way over my head. I have no idea how to fix this. Feelings are hurt. People have been taken advantage of. People have been misunderstood. Most of the time, it's just a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding. But, but we try to, to navigate the different complexities of life from the standpoint initially of, I... I'm just going to give it a go and try to fix it. I think we can make it work out based on my own understanding. And then we take off the cover and actually get into the issue and we realize, actually, this is a little above my pay grade. Uh, this is beyond what I'm capable of. When we start to analyze our own lives, not even just relational things around us, but just our own thoughts, our own struggles, bad habits. We think, I can fix myself. And then we get into it and we're like, this is not working. We can't. And we ask the question, why is it that Jesus came as a teacher? He comes as Savior of the world. Why does He come as a teacher? And the basic question, what, why is it that he comes to teach, has an equally basic answer to it. You know, as we consider why does Jesus come and communicate all these things to Nicodemus about new life, about being born again. Jesus comes as a teacher because the goal of the teacher is to bring understanding. 
which means that the Lord desires for you to understand who he is. He is not trying to prevent you from understanding who he is. I think sometimes people that design kitchen appliances do it with the goal of keeping us from being able to fix them. And God does not do that. But he has a desire for us to understand, to know life. Himself. Jesus comes as a teacher in order to teach because a good teacher wants his pupils to understand. A bad teacher enjoys when his students don't understand. A good teacher is trying to bring understanding. And so I just want to look at some passages in Psalms. Start in Psalm 25. And read just some of what the psalmists say about this relationship between God as teacher and us as learners. Because this is not just a, again, it's not a New Testament idea. But God has designed it so that we as his creation, as his people, we would be learning from him. And as we read a a number of passages in the Psalms, Psalm 25 and Psalm 119, just be looking out for what is the psalmist's perspective about learning? And what are the things in particular that the psalmist is learning from God or expects to learn from God? Reflect on the the relationship between the learner and the teacher here. In Psalm 25, in verses 4 and 5, he says, Make me know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. In verses 8 and 9, he says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. Verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He, God, will instruct him in the way that he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he will make them know his covenant. God is wanting to bring understanding and knowledge to his people. If you flip over to Psalm 119, he continues with this theme of teaching, learning. Verse 64. He says, The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Verse 66, Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Verse 71, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. I just recently finished a book on a man named Peter Jasek. I'm pronouncing that wrong. He's from the Czech Republic. He worked with Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, and Voice of the Martyrs is a ministry that seeks to, to encourage and support uh, believers, Christians in persecuted countries. And Peter was working with Voice of the Martyrs uh, from the Czech Republic. And in 2015, he was in Sudan and he was arrested by the Sudanese government uh, was because he was helping Christians there, basically. Uh, and he was in prison for about 14 months. And during his imprisonment, uh, the first four months, he's in a prison cell with a bunch of members from ISIS, and he records being beaten every day. Uh, and then after those four months... He's put in solitary confinement for three months. And he talks about how for the first four months, as he's 
in prison uh, and he's being beaten, how much it impacts the way that he prays. How his prayer life was impacted by the affliction that he faced. And then for the next three months when he's in solitary confinement, miraculously, he's allowed to have a Bible for those three months. And he's in a prison cell by himself. He said he read through the Bible in the first three weeks. And he continued to do so. And how the truth of God's Word was so life-giving to him as he's spending time by himself in a prison cell unjustly. And when I read that in verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. And that his story came to my mind just again how easy it is to begrudge, to be frustrated with hardship. And yet the Lord wants to use these things to teach us. In verse 73, in Psalm 119, he says, Your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Understanding comes from the Lord, he says. Give me understanding. In Psalm 143, a few verses there that I want to read. Psalm 143 and verse 7. And he says, Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will become like those who go down to the pit. Verse 8, Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And as a psalmist, these different psalmists record things that they hope to be taught by the Lord. They express that they have been taught by the Lord. We see things like the ways of God, the truth of God, the justice of God, the way that we should choose The psalmists learn about the covenant of God, the statutes of God. They learn discernment and knowledge as the Lord is teaching them. Understanding of God's commandments. And they're taught to do God's will. And there's so many more things that we could look at in just the psalms about the things that the the writers of the psalms learn from God. Where do we look to learn justice? To understand what true justice is. Our view of justice is impacted by media, by social media. It's impacted by so many different things. And yet, the psalmist says, God, you're the one who leads me in justice. Our understanding of justice comes from God. It ought to. It's shaped by God himself. Our understanding of the ways of God, who God is, is brought about by the word of God, what God has said. And we come to our relationship with the Lord with so many ideas that are there from whatever source they might be, some assumptions about who God is, And scripture says, God is the one who teaches us about himself. It's not my upbringing and my childhood that determines what I should believe about God. But it's the scriptures that determine or explain who God is. It's not events in the world that determine or define who God is, but it is Christ who teaches about who he is. He comes as teacher. The world is not our teacher. I am not my own teacher about who God is. But the psalmist prays, Lord, give me understanding. Because it's the Lord who gives insight into who he is. And so God speaks to life's complexities. The ways of God, the way we relate to others. 
And if we recognize that God speaks to life's complexities, then that means that we look to Him as our teacher. In the Old Testament, we see that God is wanting to teach us. Nicodemus comes to Jesus wanting to be taught. And Jesus obliges him because Jesus is God. He's sent from God to teach. And there's other places, again, like I mentioned, many places where Jesus is teaching. So why don't we turn to John 13 and we'll see one of those. But the reason why Jesus comes as teacher is because he desires for us to understand who he is. The reason the psalmists go to God and there's an expectation that God himself is going to teach them. He's going to give them understanding. Because that's who he is. He's our teacher. God desires for us to understand. The psalmist longs to be taught. Nicodemus wanted to be taught. Where do they go for instruction? They go to God. We want, we express that we want to know God, to know who He is, and where do we go in order to receive instruction about who God is? May we go to Jesus. And yet there's this underlying assumption in all of this, you know, as we have different guest lecturers come to the Bible school at Hiso every, every year, throughout the year, each week we have a different guy come to teach our students. And most of them are repeat lecturers. They've been coming for 5, 10, 20, some even 30 years. Uh, and so they, they come and they know what they're getting into and, and they just do a phenomenal job. And we're so blessed by the different people that the Lord's allowed to come teach at His Hill. But then usually, once or twice a year, we have a new guest speaker who's never been there before. And typically, almost every time, at some point throughout the week, or following their time there with us, I hear a comment from that teacher, and he just says something to the effect of, the students at his hill, they're so attentive. It's almost like they want to be there. It's fascinating. It's like they're hungry for the word. They want to be taught. They want to learn. And it's, I, we appreciate it, like praise God for the students that he brings and the, the hunger that they have in their hearts for the word. And yet there's also something that's saddening to me about it that it's so uncommon within the body of believers, to even have the expectation, and especially he's speaking about college age, you know, high school age, that it's a surprise that they're hungry and they want to be taught. And as much as Jesus comes as teacher, there's something that is necessary for the teacher to really teach effectively. And it has to be that people are willing to learn. You can teach people lots of different things and explain to them how to do something, but, and if you have kids, you know this happens, you can give them step by step, this is how you do it. And then they start to do it, and they don't follow the step by step instructions. Or if you have college students, this happens. Uh, you know, or as adults, this happens. That we hear the instructions, and yet we're not really paying attention because we don't really care to learn all that much. And so we can come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be taught by you. But it's the question of, is that expressed in sincerity or is it really just, we know it's what we're supposed to say. But there's not much truth to our desire, our expressed desire to be taught by the Lord And so in John 13, Jesus comes. He's with his disciples. And we have this teaching moment. He's about to go to the cross. Uh, This is the upper room discourse, as we call it, when he's with his disciples. It's a private meeting. 
He gives some just incredible teaching here in this private setting to these men that have walked with him for the last few years. And he's telling them that he's about to go to the cross and die, and he's going to go away. And they don't like that. When they are first getting started in their meal together, when they celebrate this Passover meal, there seems to have been a disagreement among the disciples. And this happened a couple times in their, in their time with Jesus, where they start to argue about who's the greatest out of the disciples. Which one of them is the best? You know, what a great argument to have with Jesus, in front of Jesus. Uh, and so they're arguing over who is the greatest. And it's in that context, as Jesus is about to go to the cross for the sins of the world, the disciples are maybe upset with one another uh, because they're trying to one-up each other and prove that one is better than the other and more Maybe they're proving one is more humble than the other. That works really well. And, uh, and so there's, there's probably some hurt feelings. There's some tension in the room as we get to John 13. And Jesus, in the context of all the tension and the hurt feelings and the complication of navigating relationships and people, Jesus teaches them about how to navigate relationships and people. And it says that he takes up the towel. And he goes around from one disciple to the other, and he washes their feet. Does the job of a servant, the job that the least of them was supposed to be doing, and they're arguing over who is the greatest, and Jesus takes up the towel and he washes their feet. And then, in verse 12, you know, when you can hear that, Pinny will drop in the, in the room because it's so quiet and awkward. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? And the obvious answer is, I mean, you've washed our feet. But that's not the lesson that he's getting at as their teacher He says, do you know what I've done to you? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord. And Jesus says, you are right, for so I am. Jesus expresses himself as the teacher. Jesus is to be your teacher. He is. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, And you're right. Like the psalmist, the disciples and us are coming to Jesus to learn, for instruction. And the assumption when we come to somebody else to be taught is that we need to be taught, that we need understanding, because we don't currently know what we want to know. We don't presently understand the things that we see as important to understand. The reason why you go to a teacher is because you believe that the teacher has something to say that you need to hear and learn. The psalmist goes to God for learning. Nicodemus goes to Jesus to learn. And now Jesus says, you are right to call me teacher because that's exactly what I am. In verse 14, he gives a a lesson to them as their teacher. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And he says, you know, what is his lesson that he's wanting to give to them? That he in his position as Lord is willing to serve other people. Jesus as teacher and Lord is willing to take up the towel and to serve. And they, his disciples, and us as followers of Christ are in a lower position than Jesus is. 
I am not Jesus. But Jesus as teacher and Lord is willing to take up the towel and wash people's feet. And so if he who is greater than I am is willing to humble himself in that way and do that kind of service, therefore, the disciples should be willing to do the same. If Jesus, their teacher and their Lord, is willing to take up the towel, then surely the disciples are not above doing something like that. What an incredibly clear lesson Jesus gives about relating to other people. An incredibly clear and obvious lesson about service. Scripture presents Jesus as teacher. God desires to teach us. However, despite God himself offering to lead us in the way that we should go, we're often tempted to go to the world or others to learn how we ought to respond to a given situation. Even though Jesus desires to teach us the way that we should go, we're still so prone to go to a different source in order to learn how to handle our situation. And why is that? Why is it that we're inclined to look elsewhere? And I think it's because oftentimes we don't like the conclusions that Jesus' teachings leave us with. If I do what Jesus teaches here, it means if I handle my own personal relationships the way that Jesus teaches the disciples to handle their personal relationships, that does something to my pride. I don't like that. I don't like washing people's feet. I don't like serving other people, even though they've just been trying to convince me that they're greater than I am. And then I go and wash their feet? And that's how Jesus teaches about personal relationships. And I think the reason why we are sometimes reluctant to go to the Word of God in order to be taught by God about how we conduct ourselves in the world and in relationships is because if we go to Jesus, then it means that we have to die to ourselves. Because the lessons that Jesus Jesus teaches are often unsettling to our own pride, my own self. And so I can post on social media about all the issues that I'm facing in life and all of my friends and people that see that, they're going to grieve with me and support me and be like, oh, poor John, I'm so sorry. That's what you're going through. And if the disciples post on social media, come on, guys, really, I'm the greatest. But Jesus, Jesus would say, John, go wash feet. It's not about you. And it's about, he says, the thing that impacts the way that we relate to other people is our understanding of our own identity. Jesus says, he's the teacher and Lord. And he says in verse 16, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. And he's speaking about his disciples. Jesus is the master, they are the servants. Jesus is the center, they're the ones who are sent. And he says, if you understand your position in the world, in Christ, then there's a willingness to lay life, to lay self on the altar. Because I've already been crucified with Christ. It's not my life. And so there's a willingness to do this, to serve, because I'm not really giving up anything in my identity when I take up the towel and serve others. Because my identity is already established in what Christ himself has accomplished. And so if I believe that a task is beneath me, then I'm thinking more highly of myself than I ought to think, which Paul warns about in Romans 12. 
when I look at this situation or a relationship and say, I'm too good for this situation to be the one to have to initiate reconciliation, doing this certain task is beneath me, it's a warning flag. What am I functioning from? Who am I functioning from? Self or Christ? And I'm forgetting that I'm a servant of Jesus. And it's just the reality that we are always to be learners. And God does wonderful things to humble us and remind us of how incompetent we are and how much we need Him. You know, my family, during the, the break, while students are gone and campus finished, we taken a couple days to stay at an Airbnb, and we were staying there, and I couldn't figure out how to use a shower, and one of my daughters came and showed me how to use it. I'm like, oh, unbelievable. Like, surely I'm the guy, the man of the house. I should be able to figure out that you pull the knob out and the water comes out instead of turning it. And, and I just laugh about it and say, Lord, praise God. Like, I, I don't have these things figured out. And the Lord uses the simplest things, areas in our life that we start to find our identity in. I should be able to fix that. And he says, you can't. It's okay. Uh, and, and the Lord humbles us so that way we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But we recognize we come to Jesus as our teacher. When I fail to come to Jesus as my teacher, it's because I don't think I need to be taught. I don't think he has anything left to teach. I think I figured it all out. But despite Jesus being the greatest teacher in the world, God being the greatest communicator that's ever existed, the presentation of truth does not guarantee the practice of truth. And Jesus is teaching, washing the disciples' feet to a room of 12 men. And one of those is Judas Iscariot. And Jesus can communicate clearly about who he is and who they are. He can communicate clearly about what it means to serve. And just because truth is communicated, it doesn't mean it's going to be practiced. And so we can hear truth. We can open our Bibles and read words on a page. And we can know right answers. In verse 17 here, Jesus says, If you know these things, you're blessed if. He doesn't say you're blessed if you know these things in verse 17, but he says you're blessed if you do them. It's not just about information. But as effective and clear of a teacher as Jesus is, the learner must be willing to learn. And to take that which is communicated, what is taught, and apply. And what Jesus taught is that he came into the world to give life. Jesus taught that in order to have eternal life, abundant life, the life that God designed for us to enjoy and to know the blessing of God, he says you have to be born again. You have to have the Spirit of Christ in you. And you have to be abiding in Christ, walking by faith to do these things. He says that is where the blessing of God is experienced. Not just knowing, not just information. He says, you're blessed if you do them. And the means of doing them, we know so clearly from Scripture, is again why Jesus came. The means of doing these things is in Christ himself. Abide in the vine, for apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. And he reminds us of that in so many ways throughout our week, throughout our day, when we come into the situation of our life that we find ourselves in this week and we start to pull back the cover for it to decide how we're going to fix our situation and we realize 
Lord, I need you to teach me because this is more than I can handle. It's more than I understand. And the Lord delights to teach us. He wants to. And when you go through the Psalms and you read about God's desire to teach and the psalmist's desire to learn, it's often near a, a phrase or a passage about the love of God and the loving kindness of God. I've seen your loving kindness. Teach me your ways. That wanting to be taught by God is not simply because God is judged, but because we see who he is as love. We want to learn from him who is love. His ways are so good. And so we get to be like Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. And in our hearts, may that just be where we are in this upcoming week. And so in closing, just want to read again Psalm 32. In verse 8, he says, God is speaking and he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise they will not come near to you. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Jesus is our good teacher. He wants to teach us. Let me pray. God, we thank you for these things. God, we do pray and ask for understanding. You know the circumstances that each of us find ourselves in this afternoon, in this week, at the upcoming season. And Lord, whether it's a season of transition or returning to something that we've done year in and year out, I just pray that we would be humbled before you. We would acknowledge our need of you. Lord, we would be willing to be taught. And we thank you that you love us. You want to teach us. You come into the world in order that we would have life, that we would understand who you are. And so may we walk by faith. May we trust you and just continue to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.